Hey, Tom, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Jay, thanks for having me. So you're the first Tom that I've talked to with an H in his name, so I love talking to unique people. Thanks for being here. <laughs> well, most most of the Toms are actually Thomas. So I don't I don't know why they take the H out when they shorten it to Tom. I, I just got rid of the ass. <laughs> that's, that's good, because nobody likes that kind of guy anyway. Um, so what we're talking about today is the same thing we always talk about, which is how do you build a business that lasts? You have been a professional speaker for over a decade, and that world has changed drastically. We're going to get to talking about that. But before we do, I want to talk about your transition into kind of working for yourself, being that entrepreneur. Um, what got you into that place, and why did you do such a crazy thing? So I had a fairly successful career in both sales and marketing and kind of a hybrid business development role for a lot of professional services firms, law firms, banks, consulting firms. And when you're in sales and marketing roles, you tend to go to a lot of conferences. Either your company is sponsoring the conference or uh, your customers are going to be there. So you're attending some sort of a trade show or you're going for your own personal development. And when you go to a lot of conferences, you see a lot of speakers. And yeah, there's always the celebrities like the, the politicians and the, the best-selling authors who become big deals. But a lot of these speakers are just regular people who sort of have an interesting message. And I remember vividly 15, 20 years ago, sitting in the audience thinking every single time I would watch a speaker, I would be like, they have a better job than I do. And so I, I studied the business. I learned what it was about. And for a long time, I kept trying to position myself where I could make that transition. And then in April 2009, in fact, April 1st, 2009, the bottom of the Great Recession, I got laid off from my corporate marketing job. And I called my wife and I said, I'm just going to go for it. And I'd love to say it was easy. It was a couple of years before I started earning the kind of money I earned in corporate America. But after a couple of years, I was earning what I would have in a, in a corporate marketing job. And it was a lot more flexible, a lot more fun. And it really was kind of something I really liked doing. So I just kept doing it. So what I find most interesting about that is you had this dream, you had this idea, and you thought, man, that, that seems like a really fun thing to do to help people in that way. And then you kind of got kicked into it as a result of the layoff or the economy. I think a lot of people may be in that place right now. Um, where, I mean, we, we know that the, the, the entire economy and the job market has been just turned on its head. And we'll talk about how that relates to public speaking for sure. But, but thinking back to those day, that, that time when you got laid off and you're like, I'm just going to do this thing. When you think about people who are in that position today, who they've had a job for a long time, they don't have that job anymore. And they're thinking, I'm going to start this new thing. What kind of advice would you have given it to yourself back then that you'd give to them today? Well, I think one of the things that I did right, and it wasn't necessarily because I was smart, I just sort of fell into it, is I studied the business. I early on realized that, that we often saw the celebrity speakers, but I wasn't a celebrity. So I started peeling back the onion and looking, what, how did people make money with the spoken word? And, and there were lots of different paths, and nobody lived in all the paths. You could live in one, maybe two. So there were people who spoke to the college market. There were people who spoke to uh, the religious market. There were people who put on their own events and sold coaching programs or sold tickets to the event. Uh, there was a lot of different ways people were speakers, but for what my topics were and what my experience was, 
the corporate and corporate association market was the lane that made sense for me. It's what I understood. And it could be very lucrative if you were good at it. So I studied the business for years and I got involved with the National Speakers Association. So unlike Toastmasters, which is an awesome organization that teaches you how to be a better speaker, the National Speakers Association focuses on the business side. And so I, I met people, I went to seminars, and I learned what the business I was going to go into, you know, what it was really like. And that set me up for when I got that layoff, I wasn't at square one. You know, my brother actually told me a couple of years later, someone was going, wow, you took the layoff and you did this. And my brother's like, well, you didn't start at zero. You were already speaking part-time and getting paid. You were already making friends with people in the industry and you already belonged to the, the main association for people who did that. So that was a really good foundation that I put together. That's really good advice for people that are listening um, because you don't have to take that full leap. I mean, unless you're forced to, but in general, you don't have to take that full leap right away. And, you know, I, I do see some people sometimes who will jump into businesses and you can tell that they really haven't done much research. They've not prepared themselves. And there's a lot of risk. You're creating even more risk in an already risky situation. Well, one of the, I get questions from people who want to be speakers and they'll, they'll buy me coffee or we'll jump on a phone call. And one of the first question I ask them for first questions that I ask them is how many speaker friends do you have? And mm -hmm. often their response is, well, there's you. And my answer is we're not friends. You just called me up to pick my brain. I'm talking about friendship, meaning someone who, if you had no plans for Thanksgiving, they would invite you to join their family in their home. And the answer from people is usually, well, zero. And I'm like, before you get into this business, go make friends, like legitimate relationships with people who make money speaking. Don't stalk the celebrities because the celebrities are going to be like, go away, kid, you bother me. But, you know, go find people who, who make a decent income in whatever industry you're in. And, you know, success leaves clues that they will show you the way. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that. One of my, actually, he was maybe my very first client like 21 years ago. His name, ironically, is Tom as well, um, but without the H. And he um, worked in the association space for a long time. And and over time now, he does a lot of speaking in that space. He still does a little bit of actual work in the space, but he speaks at all kind of different association conferences and everything else. And it's been interesting over time to see he just built this expertise in a particular industry, knew how to do these things, and then thought, you know, I can just go teach other people and encourage entire groups versus just working with this singular association. Mm -hmm. um, so the speaker friend thing is interesting. I, I have quite a few folks who I know who have spent a lot of time doing public speaking. Um, they've turned entire careers into it like you have. And 2020 was insane. I mean, uh, for y'all, that, that was your entire focus or your primary kind of nest egg. Man, my heart just went out to, to all my friends in that space because they had to figure out, like, how am I going to make money now? Like, you know, this is a this is a problem. Um, and all the things that you would lean on, which is showing up at an event and sharing knowledge, is not easy. And the online version, there's all kind of online things. But look, regardless of how good we may be at the online stuff, it just doesn't replace being in physical presence with people. So how have you, you know, kind of made it through the last 12 plus months now of of, of craziness? Yeah, thanks for that question. And it, it makes me, you know, take a step back. I, I've been fortunate. I've made it through. Uh, I wasn't so sure in March of last year that I was going to, you know, 
be able to keep my house and do some other things because I had what I would refer to as a traditional speaker business. Uh, I would get hired, I would show up, I would give a, a speech, or I also had a, a part of my career where I served as a master of ceremonies, uh, the MC for a multiple day event. So sometimes I'd be there for a day. Sometimes I might be there for four days, depending on what the agreement was and what my role was. Uh, and they'd give me a check. And that's all I had done for at that point, 11 years. And people often suggested, boy, you should have multiple streams of income. You should have you know, some other career on the side just in case. And I thought, just in case this seems to be working out all right. I've, I've built it to last. I've been doing it 10 years, you know, and I figured, you know, I could ride this out till I was in my sixties, you know, whatever. Uh, I never predicted a real global pandemic. I mean, I'd seen recessions over 10 years. Uh, I started in the middle of the great recession. Um, I'd seen some other turnarounds, but events were still happening. Their budgets might be lower. They might, they might negotiate down a little bit, but there was still an event and someone was still getting a check to go give a speech. Uh, this basically pulled the parking brake. I call March 13th the day my business died. And in the course of 10 days, I watched almost two quarters worth of events just go away. Sometimes there were refunds. Sometimes there was rescheduling for, for next year. I have a couple of clients that won't do anything until 2023. And I gave, wow. them, a for, I gave them a forever credit on their deposit. So whenever they use me, they've already paid the deposit. But uh, yeah, it was really, <clears throat> excuse me, it was really hard uh, to deal with and you, you just had to get scrappy. But the, the virtual stuff, there is some virtual speaking. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of virtual master of ceremonies work, but the budgets aren't the same. So to make yeah. the same amount of money, you know, you have to do a lot more work and there's not as much work out there and there's more speakers chasing every work. So I'm not seeing my traditional speaking in a virtual world paying my bills. Uh, I'm doing a little bit of it. I'm, I'm really excited and, and I think I'm good at it, but uh, I'm doing other things to be able to, you know, get through and, and get by. I used to be the director of marketing for a law firm. And I started when I was a speaker, part of what I did is I did small trainings for law firms and individual coaching on business development for lawyers and then other professional services, people, accountants, consultants, et cetera. And I had stopped doing that because the speaking business had taken off. So one of the things I did in 2020 is I went back into that, either with clients who had known me or with just people I knew in that industry and, and hung that shingle out as I have a unique skill to help lawyers. What I called it was social tightening while you're social distancing, keeping relationships alive. And I had a lot of law firms. It didn't pay a lot, but the volume was there hmm. that either had me do a program or said, yeah, our senior associates and young partners need some one-on-one -on -one coaching to make sure they're doing this right. So I was able to stitch some of that together. And then the other thing that came along over the last couple of years is I've had a podcast for six and a half years. And two years ago, I got hired by an association to be the host and sort of co-producer of their show. And so it doesn't pay a lot, but you, you, you put that together. There's a little base coming in every month from that. And I now I'm doing another show for another group. And yesterday, two days ago, I took a call from a company, like a for-profit company who wants to start a podcast as they're launching their, their new venture for the firm. They want a podcast around it and they don't have anyone on staff that either has the right personality, the desire, and they don't want to give an employee that piece of the brand because they could 
take it to, to a competitor. So uh, they're negotiating with me to be the host of their show. And if that works out, then all of a sudden I have, you know, a little bit of podcast income coming in as well. So you got to be scrappy these days if, if you want to survive because the live meeting business is going to still be there. So I'm still, you know, marketing myself and doing what I can, but the work just isn't there right now. Yeah, that's, um, that's just, a, it's just a wild story. As you were talking about, I was thinking about, you know, I always say that, and I don't say this is statistically true. If a business makes it 10 years, if an entrepreneur makes it 10 years, usually they can make it through anything because they've had to be scrappy enough to overcome all kinds of things. In a 10-year period, an economy goes through just about most of what it's going to go through. But really what we experienced and really are still experiencing right now is something that is not an every 10-year thing. It's an every 100-year thing. And it actually, uh, I saw some data that was weird. To the, it's like the 20s of like every year have actually experienced some kind of major health crisis like this. It's Yeah, it was the late 1900s, like 1918 uh, was the Spanish flu. And it it is it, just, uh, just a hair, just a couple of years off of being exactly 100 years since the last time you had a pandemic that really had any global impact like this. So yeah, yeah. hundred years is long time. Yeah. And I, I guess I won't be here. Else. I won't be here for the next, the next <laughs> that's, one. That's, thank goodness. Right. Just make it through at one time. But I think the other thing you talked about there, which is good counsel for everybody is that idea of multiple streams of income. Like, you know, if, uh, for example, I, I run a marketing agency and, and I also do some speaking as well, but it's not my full-time gig. Um, and everybody says to me on the marketing side, and they have for like the past 21 years, hey, you have to niche down. That's what they'll say. You have to niche down so that you can scale effectively and grow a, a systematized business. And I'm like, well, I don't really want to. And so, and I don't want to for a couple of reasons. One, I'd probably get bored if all I did was one vertical. And if all the company was one vertical, I'm just not that interested in that. And number two is I want the diversity of business. Because here in Florida, for example, where I'm at, um, when, when I know people who have run agencies very similar to mine in skill sets, but their entire focus is travel or their entire mm -hmm. focus is hospitality. Or restaurants, well, right. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I have exactly. a friend who does marketing for restaurants and he's had a year like I have. Yeah, and, and so they run through those same, same things. And, and even, I always tell people this too, even within your business, you can have multiple streams of revenue. My uncle taught me this a long time ago, is figuring out, even if it's not a lot, like I've got some areas of the business that bring in, you know, $10,000 here, $10,000 there. But I run a whole team, so I got to have a lot of money to pay payroll every single week. And and so having those extra streams can be a lifesaver um, from time to time. And great job, I mean, pivoting into the podcast stuff. I think that's a huge space. You and I, ironically, for everybody that's not familiar with this, met originally on a, it's not a podcast app, but it's a conversation social media app called Clubhouse. Um, I'm curious, like, since that's a brand new thing, uh, what you've experienced on there from conversation and relationship building. So I was invited to join Clubhouse during the summer, but I was still in the grasp of just grasp, grasping straws around my business. I was still not sure that I was going to get through the year, um, you know, without some serious financial problems. I mean, I certainly have had serious financial problems, but I was scared they were going to be worse. Yeah. And so I just ignored the invitation to Clubhouse. Uh, in December, I got reinvited, had a little time on my hands. It had gotten more traction. I'd heard about it a little more. So I jumped on and, and I found a couple of interesting things. 
Number one, I think that people are hungry for human connection and conversation is one of the ways that we connect with people. That's why podcasts are so popular and interview style podcasts are so popular is even if you're just listening, you're listening to the conversation and there's excitement that comes out in Jay's voice when he asks a question that might come out a little bit more than when I give an answer and, and voice alone. I mean, we've been in a world where for five years, they told us video, 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 there's something spectacular about voice where when you strip away the video, our ears pick things up a little bit differently. So I think that's the reason podcasts have done so well for the last decade. And I think the reason that Clubhouse is on fire is people are hungry for that human connection. And we get that through conversations. It's why I tell people, look, conversations don't have scripts. When when the best times you've had with your friends or when you're just sitting around laughing and telling stories. And so when we can do that in a, a more business focus, I think it, it resonates. So the other thing I say about Clubhouse is it's putting the social back in social mm-hmm. media. Yeah. I don't get I don't get people who reach out to me and say, I would like you on my podcast because they follow my Instagram. I don't think that's ever happened. But I have been on and I've had several guests who I've met over the last month from Clubhouse. I've probably been a guest on five shows and I've probably found four guests that way. And so all of a sudden, Clubhouse is much more social than the other social media things. And maybe it's because it's new. Maybe it's because it's different. Uh, maybe it'll jump the shark and be gone in six months. But for mm. right now, Clubhouse is an interesting place to be able to share ideas and learn. Yeah, I think it is that like, it is, I totally agree that it kind of put the social back in social. Over the holidays in December, I was like addicted to it. Now I had to like get back to regular work so I can't sit on Clubhouse for 13 hours a day. Um, but... But I found in many situations, like like this right now, like you're on this show, we're talking together, we're getting to know each other a little bit, we didn't know each other before, the possibilities of what could come from that for either one of us are endless. Infinite, ab- ab- absolutely. And that's this whole part. I mean, one of the things I teach as a speaker is this whole idea of human connection. Mm-hmm. And when you connect with somebody, you don't know what it's going to lead to. Maybe you start a business together, maybe you refer business together, maybe you're just friends and you laugh. But- as a keynoter, my closing story is a slide comes up that says, this isn't just business. I'll talk for 45 minutes about how human connection, your network, your personal brand, how you relate, how you're perceived, why that helps you succeed more. And my last slide simply, or one of my last slides just is, this isn't about business. And I tell a story that I I don't have time to tell it here, but I tell a story that's pretty heavy, pretty in-depth and totally real. That's about how we found the doctor that saved my daughter's life. Now, when I say that, she wouldn't have died, but she would have grown up with an elephant man-like deformity. She would have had Mm. serious problems with the way her skull would have grown. The bones in her skull were fused together. Mm. And and it was a horrible thing to have to go through. And we had to move fast if we were going to do surgery. We could do nothing and raise a kid with a handicap like this, that she would be teased. Or we could make a decision that had some risks to remove the top of her skull at six months old. Wow. And we were we were diagnosed late. We had to move fast. And the story is about the fact that someone in my network called me in the middle of the night because their first cousin was the top pediatric neurosurgeon or one of the mm-hmm. top in the world. People came from all over the world to have this surgery we needed with him. And I had read about him, but you couldn't get in to see him. And we were on a tight schedule. And this person said, no, he's expecting your call tomorrow. Wow. And I live in Texas. I call Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. I asked for this doctor. And we talk for an hour Hmm. and he says, I want to see Kate tomorrow. And the next day, my wife flew to San Diego with Kate 
And a few days later, Kate was being operated. I flew to San Diego. Kate was being operated on. And you fast forward to today. And, and by the way, the surgery was successful. Uh, they relieved the pressure on the brain. Everything's great. In fact, Kate's now a freshman at an Ivy League college. She's wow. smart. She's beautiful. She's precocious. She wants to save the world. She's exactly what you want a 19-year-old to be. Mm. And she got this fresh start because someone we knew, their cousin was the right doctor. And so you just never know when you meet somebody how you can impact their life or, or vice versa. I just love that. I mean, uh, what an incredible story. And just that idea that business is just people working with people. And I have people all the time. One of the things I do a lot is we'll talk about messaging and I'll talk about how to how to tell a story about your business that invites your customer into the story because it's about the customer. It's not about you. And, and so we'll teach this messaging framework for clients. And in and, and part of it, we talk about like, how they feel about things. And a lot of times I'll get people that'll say, well, this is a, this is business to business. This is B2B. It doesn't matter how they feel. And I'm like, that's not true. These are people <laughs> working with people and people have feelings and how they feel dictates what they're going to do. And so do you want to sell stuff or not? And then they're like, well, I get, I get, yeah, yeah, we do. Okay, well then let me help you fix this, you know? And that humanization piece of communication and of the humanization of business is that it is not just about the numbers. Sure, the numbers matter. And yes, costs are an issue and all that. But man, if you can't get the people part right, it, it changes everything. And I, the, the connection piece, building that network is so important with what you do uh, in speaking at events. And so obviously over time, you've developed, you know, skills and strategies to how to cultivate those relationships. One of the things I struggle with is like, there's just so many people to connect with. How do you, how, how do you do that? So how have you cultivated relationships over time that have in non-pandemic seasons helped you make sure that you have a next stage to go to where people are going, Hey, I, we really need to have Tom there. You got to call him. How have you, what are some ideas on how you've cultivated those relationships? Well, one of the things is, is that you can't think you can connect to everybody. So I, 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 before the pandemic and then as it was starting, I had a consultant who wanted to me to hire them because they were marketing for people like me. And he kept telling me in every conversation we have that in the last three months, he'd added 3000 people to his LinkedIn. Well, he obviously didn't even know what I taught because one of the things I say when I teach people is, you know, having unlimited people on your LinkedIn means nothing because you being, you know, I could give you a phone book for Los Angeles County and say, I have 10 million people in my network. Look, I, do they even print phone books anymore? I don't know. But if, if I gave you a phone book of all of Los Angeles County, and I don't know how many people live in Los Angeles County, but let, let's call it 10 million. I could say, oh, I have this book. I'm connected to 10 million people. Well, mm -hmm. I have their phone number, but that doesn't mean anything. And the same thing is true with social media. All these people go, oh, well, if they're not a legit celebrity, like I'll give the Kardashians the title influencer. But if they don't really have name recognition, a lot of followers doesn't mean anything. So mm -hmm. when Twitter first began, I was at the South by Southwest when it launched. I live in Austin, Texas. Twitter became a really big deal here in Austin within the tech community. And people would do these things. They were called tweet ups. And you would literally put out there for like a day in advance, hey, we're going to this bar on this street at six o'clock at night in the back room and we're having a tweet up and people would show up and they get a name tag and they they put their little at Tom Singer or whatever their Twitter name was. And they'd walk around and people would be like, oh, I follow you. And hundreds of people would come. Hmm. If I, I now, and I didn't have a big following. I have a 
few thousand people who follow me on Twitter. I'm not, you know, anybody, I'm not a big deal. But if I put it out there and said, oh, I'm having this tweet up in Austin, nobody would come. I don't think a single, I could go to a bar, I could tweet it a thousand times Mm -hmm. and nobody would show up. And so, you know, this idea of follow likes, links, shares, and follows don't mean anything. So you have to have a small list of people. And I tell people that, you know, once you get over 50 people, you can't cultivate relationships very well because you have to be constantly finding ways to have conversations. Meeting someone once does not make them part of your network. Meeting someone once makes them someone you have met once. And there is a big difference between someone you've met once and someone you've created a long-term and mutually beneficial relationship with. So I'm having a great time here. You know, I can see you. We're on Zoom. I'm having a great time being on your podcast. But if we don't speak again for two years, neither one of us are bringing any opportunities to the other person. So you have to cultivate those relationships. So the first thing is, is you have to have a a narrow group of people that you're going to cultivate. Second thing is you have to realize it takes, I think, seven to 10 times of, of having a meaningful, some sort of connection with somebody, not before you have a great relationship, but before they even start noticing you exist. Mm. And so it takes years sometimes. And in the pandemic, it could take longer to cultivate those those serious relationships where people are referring you or hiring you or whatever it takes. So part of it is you got to be in the game. I mean, that's the way I built my speaking business is I've been in the game for 12 years. And in the pandemic, the game has changed, but I'm still doing what I can to get in front of people. So it's possible someone listening to this will be like, oh, we're having a conference and human connection is the theme of the conference. Who was that human connection guy that Jay interviewed? And they would call and have me speak. So if I don't do podcasts, the odds of that happening become a zero because nobody you know, out there would find me accidentally. But the accidental finds are few and far between. However, if someone I know and I've built a long-term, mutually beneficial relationship with, if their company's having a theme and human connection's important to their business, they'll definitely put me on that short list of people they'll talk to. Yeah, I, I love that idea that like followers don't matter. I mean, in a culture where our culture says the exact opposite, I I enjoy counterculture ideas in general. So the the idea that the number of people that you have on your Twitter account is is irrelevant. I always tell people I would rather have one person on my email list who actually wants to hear from me and knows who I am than a thousand people like my Facebook page because they're not going to matter. Even even in this conversation, like even though I think you're completely right, like if we didn't have some kind of further interaction after this, neither one of us are probably going to do much with each other over time. But like the the value of this conversation and even like where it started, which was a conversation in Clubhouse, which led to, I mean, maybe maybe I followed you on Instagram or something and then we probably we probably connected that way. Yep. It's interesting you can't even direct message on Clubhouse. And and then now we're on a show together. The impact of that versus, say, me commenting on a LinkedIn post that you have is infinitely higher. Yes, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we were in a room together on Clubhouse and you had some really smart things to say. So when you reached out, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, you want to come on my show? And I'm like, yes, I want to have you on my show. And now that we've had this conversation, I want to have you on my show. Like, I don't automatically <laughs> right. do sure. show swaps. Right. You know, because there's some people it's like, I don't want them on my show. <laughs> yes. You know, after I meet people are, like, let's, people are like, let's, let's do a podcast show swap. And I'm like, uh, I don't know you. You might, <laughs> yeah. you might be, you might be horrible. 
Yeah. But now I want you on my show. So then that'll be a second conversation we'll have from the standpoint right. of my my show. My main show is called my personal show is called Making Waves at Sea Level. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll talk about marketing for companies and the stuff that you do. And I'll learn a new insight into you. Boom. Now we have now we have two conversations like this, which makes it a lot easier for us to jump on a phone call sometime when you're driving across Florida or I'm driving across Texas. That's how friendships get built. Yeah, so good. And the other thing I'll point out too that I want people to think about as it relates to like personal versus business is when you told that story about your daughter, what, one thing people will say many times, which I hate this saying, is it's not personal, it's business. And I was like, it's all personal because businesses are made of people. But because you told that story, I automatically now feel more connected to you and feel like I know you more because like you're a dad and you have a child who went through a traumatic thing. And I think about, I, I have five kids and I think about what, like I have had that's, some traumatic wait, wait. Ex- That's That's a lot of kids. Jay. <laughs> well, I have they, a friend who has seven, so he, he, he beats me by a long shot. They, but. <laughs> they actually know what causes that now. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, this is probably TMI for a podcast, but after three kids, I thought we were done and I actually cannot make babies anymore. That's the TMI part. And uh, then we adopted two more. So um, apparently, even when you're done making babies, you actually can have as many as you, can you keep want. Keep going. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, but you know, like, I, I immediately thought about. I've never had anything that traumatic. Uh, thank God. I'm, I'm so glad that she made it through that. But like, w- one of our sons broke his femur one time, and that was so like. I remember that night because they, they they had to wait overnight for the right doctor to get there to set his leg because at that age it was really critical that it was just right. Otherwise, he'd walk with a limp for the rest of his life. And I thought, man, like that that night is like etched in my brain of how that felt because he was in pain and I couldn't do anything about it. Yep. So like I can I can hear that story about your daughter and like we're both marketing guys and business guys and speaking guys. And yet that one little personal story now connects us at a level that we never would otherwise. And I think when people neglect the personal relationship and they just want to get right into the numbers, they neglect so much opportunity. So I got some advice when I started speaking and I started using that story about Kate. And, and for the record, it sort of happened by accident. I was at a conference and uh, in the Q&A, somebody talked about, why do you connect? And somebody said, Tom, tell the story about Kate's doctor. And the audience was like, whoa. And my wife, Kate was still little at the time. She was three or four years old the first time I told that story publicly. And my wife, when she heard I'd told the story, she told me, that's Kate's life. You can't use that for business. Mm. And I told my wife, come watch me tell it. Come see how I tell it. And I was speaking at a college and she's like, these people won't understand. They don't have kids. They're 20 years old. And afterwards, these people were lining up talking about that story. And my wife said, when we got in the car, she goes, you have to tell that story. Mm. And then there were speakers who told me, well, it's too personal. It's too heavy. Even though it's a happy ending, it was too heavy of a story. And you know what? Like you said, the counterculture, all these people said, don't tell the story. And it's the reason people remembered me years later and hired me for other things. They would call the association and go, who was that speaker whose daughter had head surgery? Yeah. You know, they didn't remember my name, but they remembered that story. So, you know, I, I, I think being personal in business and being genuine, there's a lot of people who share stories that are bullshit, but if you can be genuine, I think, I think that's how you make connections. People human to humans connect over things like that. Yeah. And it's interesting right now because it's, it, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for that on social media, but there's so much fakeness. I mean, uh, it's always kind of the, like the highlight reel versus the behind the scenes. And sometimes I get in trouble with my wife about like posting things about the kids only because 
She's like, well, you don't post the part about them scream, us screaming at them because they're doing X, <laughs> Y, or Z. I'm like, I'm not thinking like, let me take my camera out and take a video of this of me screaming at my child because he's not listening to me for the third time. Well, um, Facebook, Facebook is the place you brag about your kids. You know, that's I, right. I, I'll put a picture of her in, you know, her her Ivy League sweatshirt, but I, you know, I won't tell you about those nights where she's like, I hate you. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and so this summer, it's interesting how like those personal stories and connection create opportunity. Um, one of my big goals over the last few years was to take 30 days off. And so this year, uh, in the middle of a pandemic, I took a month off and we did an RV trip around the whole country. And I am a big Instagram story kind of guy when I feel like it. And other times I go weeks without doing it. So I told this whole story over the RV trip. And some of it was really funny because you got five kids. And some of it was just interesting. And some of it was probably boring. Um, and what I wasn't thinking at the time was how that could actually be leveraged for business because one thing I am starting to do more of is business growth coaching, not just marketing, but but helping people figure out how to build a better life. And but it's amazing how many people would like to know how I took 30 days off and have a you know agency that kept running. And I'm like, here's this personal story that now has impact. And then I'm like, well, I probably could have designed that better. And then I'm like, I don't know if I could have designed it better because I just shared the story authentically. And then in hindsight, it becomes something that actually has value. Well, and you can take it in hindsight and craft it into a story that you talk about and tell. But if you had said at the beginning of the trip, I'm going to design this trip as a way to show how I can go for a month with my children. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, the whole thing would have been gross, not yeah, natural. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I always like to ask a couple of questions I don't want to miss because I feel like we're, you're the kind of guy I could probably talk to all day. Um, there's three kind of primary things I like to do as I kind of start getting towards the end of the show. Um, one... What does work-life balance mean to you, and how has that changed through different seasons of life? That's really two questions, but I'm going to call it one. The second is um, really where people can find more about you, where they, want, where they can learn more about you. And then the last is kind of parting advice on this idea of building a business that lasts. So let's start with the first one. Uh, okay. Work-life balance, what does it even mean to you, and how has that changed through different seasons of life? So first of all, I'm one of the people who doesn't believe you can ever achieve work-life balance. So uh, I have a friend who's a professional speaker. His name's Dan Thurman, and his message is, you know, off balance on purpose. And he rides a unicycle while he speaks, not the whole speech, but he juggles and rides a unicycle. And he points out that while he's on the unicycle, he's never in balance. You watch his feet are always moving, his hips are moving, and he's juggling at the same time. And that is his visual for the fact that when he does this, he's never in balance and neither is life. And, and I think he's right. And I think that um, where you, when you're at work and you're really in the weeds working with clients, you're not at home with your kids. Yeah. So you have to find ways to structure it. So several years ago, uh, I was the host of a hybrid event, but hybrid events actually existed before the pandemic. <laughs> uh, it was a conference for the National Speakers Association, and they were broadcasting it. But instead of putting up a, a slide that said back in 30 minutes during coffee breaks or lunch back in an hour and a half, they had two of us serving like Kelly and Ryan in the morning. So we did an entire talk show. In fact, we've turned it into a business. We call it the webinar talk show and you can find it at webinartalkshow.com. But we started this seven years ago and we would interview during those breaks when there wasn't something being broadcast to the at-home audience. And while the people on site were drinking coffee or eating cookies, we would do interviews with the speakers, with key people in the association, uh, with att other attendees, sponsors. And one of the things, uh, one of the speakers didn't show up and they were scheduled for like a 10 minute slot and they just weren't there. 
So the co-host and I are filling and I see my then 18 year old daughter, who's now 23, the older, the older of my two daughters. And she was a counselor at the youth program, that the, the conference had, they had a, a leadership program for the children of the members. And she was one of the counselors and she'd run to get something or whatever. And I'm like, Jackie, come here. I'm like, do you have a few minutes? And she said, yeah, she sat down, we mic'd her up and I did an interview with what is it like to be the child of a professional speaker, but there was no prep. And she's not like, like the person who's like always on camera. She didn't have a lot of experience either, but I'm her dad. She trusted me. She sat down and I said, what's it like? And she looks right at the camera and goes, well, you're gone a lot. And I Mm. thought, oh, we're throwing me under the bus, right? First question. And she's like, but you know, when you're home, you're more present than my other friend's parents. She goes, I have a lot Mm. of friends whose parents are doctors and lawyers and business people. And she goes, and they're gone 10 hours a day, every day. And then sometimes work dinners and things like that. She goes, ever since you became a professional speaker, when you're not on the road, you drive me to school. We can do, you know, an after school coffee. You know, you're you're just always there. She goes, so the balance works out. And I, I realize mm. that that's what you have to do is when you're present, you have to be present. Your job might keep you away, but you have to carve out that time. And when you carve out that time, uh, you have to do that. Well, my wife and I are now empty nesters. We both work from home, but she's an introvert. She wants to be left alone to get her work done. I'm an extrovert. I get off the phone. I want to go out and go, I was just on Jay's podcast. Jay is so cool. I can't wait to talk to Jay, have Jay on my podcast. We've had to learn that we communicate differently when it's just the two of us and we're in the house constantly. Um, So we carve out time where there's together time and we carve out time where she has her headphones on and she's either working or, or doing something, you know, around the house. That kind of means don't talk to me. So you have to carve out what works for your family and make sure that you're not letting work slip or family slip, but whoever you're with, the other one's going to be out of balance at that moment. Yeah. I love that. I think that intentional structure is so important. And I can tell you for sure that I am definitely guilty uh, sometimes of being the thing my wife will say to me sometimes, and this is a harsh criticism, but it is true. Is she says, um, sometimes it feels like you're here, but you're not really here. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit of the curse of being an entrepreneur is figuring oh, sure. out how to get around that. Because, you know, I know that most people that, that have run businesses like me since a young age, that there's something always turning in the back of your head and you can't stop that thing. But what you can do is you can make intentional choices to focus on where you are. And so I know there's times like that I have to choose to leave my laptop in the car, leave my phone in the car, or go put it in a drawer in a charger in another room and not have it with me because I'm I'm also easily distracted. So like I could be playing with one of my kids and then something vibrates on my phone and I'm like, 45 minutes later, I'm turning my phone off, but I didn't really get anything done while I was there, you know? Right. And, um, and, but and be- we talk about Clubhouse. Clubhouse is like the biggest time suck out there. So I, li- yeah. I like block time. Like I can only be on Clubhouse for now. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and I think that idea of being where your feet are is really valuable. And then being intentional about the structure. And then I think if for people that are in relationships, you know, that that idea of communicating, like, what do you need? And because my wife and I are very different as well, and she she likes alone time. I don't really. I like to be around people. I, you know, I, I need, I, I, I mean, those you, you of us always are, call me. I'm the same way. Just call me. <laughs> those of us that are extroverts, like I've literally seen people like, like I saw a meme somewhere and it was like, hey, in the middle of a pandemic, y'all make sure you're calling and checking on your extrovert friends because they're starving for human interaction. And that's why something like Clubhouse works because it's this live conversation um, that people get into. 
Gosh. All right. Uh, last two questions. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and maybe they want to book you for an event they got coming up or hire, hire you as an MC or they just want to see one of your shows? Where can they find you? And then the last one's going to be parting advice to help people build a business that lasts. So I'm, I'm easily findable. You can find me at tomsinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. But a little secret, I own tomsinger, T-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. And it redirects. So even if you spell it the more traditional way, uh, you'll still get to my website. So just tomsinger.com is the way to find me. That links to many of the things I do. Uh, and then I think that, you know, last parting piece of advice is whatever industry you're in, dive into your trade association. Make friends with those people who are doing the jobs that you're doing. And sometimes people go, well, I don't want to be friends with my competitors. Well, that's ridiculous because some I get probably 25% of my business is referred from other speakers. So if I didn't have friends with my competitors, I would be out 25% of my income. And that's a big number. And I've even talked to people in like the, the plumbing trades who are friends with other local plumbers because they don't do everything. They, they don't do commercial or they don't do home or they're overworked. They can't, somebody calls in with an emergency and they can't do it. So get involved with the organization and look for the educational tools that these trade associations have because you can't know it all. Uh, the National Speakers Association has just launched a brand new podcast and I am really proud. They have a whole bunch of members. Lots of us have podcasts. Lots of us have experience doing it. They partnered with me to be the host of their show and it's called Speakernomics. And what we do is we get two tips every episode that are actionable on how to make more money. And any one episode may not be right for the speaker who's listening, but if we do it every week with 52 episodes, that's going to be what 104 tips. You know, there's going to be a lot of them that are going to change people's lives. And so uh, all associations offer some sort of education. They offer podcasts or courses. Get involved. Take that advantage of that education. But more importantly, get to know the people who are doing it. That's such good advice. You know, for so long, I was not involved in organizations like that. And I will just say as a, as a ditto of what you just said, the times now that I've been involved in organizations where other people that do things like I do, they are other agency owners. And I have just learned and believe wholeheartedly that collaboration is more valuable than competition. And, you know, nine times out of 10, we're not competing on deals anyway, because they're, they're, they're specific to the relationships, as we talked about earlier, that we have. And, and the knowledge that I have gotten and been able to share now, I always say everybody needs somebody to look up to, somebody that's looking up to them, somebody to stand beside, and somebody that believes in them when they don't believe in themselves. And having those people that stand beside you in those seasons who have walked the walk, or those that are ahead of you, and they, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I dealt with that. Here's what we did. I mean, those relationships to me are just incredible. So thanks for that advice. Yep. Tom, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, I've just really enjoyed our conversation. I think the insights you've shared will be valuable and encouraging. Um, thank you for the example of scrappiness in business and figuring out how to figure out what's next. Um, it's not been an easy uh, season for many, many folks. And yet, uh, I think that 10 years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to have learned a lot of things from a tough time. Thanks I agree. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. 
Hey, I hope this video has helped you with some tips and ideas to build a business that lasts. Make sure you subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss out on the next videos that we roll out. And more importantly, for some awesome free resources, head over to our website at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com. You can get a free copy of my book there where I tell you how I have built an agency that's grown year over year for the last 20 years in a row. So go grab that, buildingabusinessthatlasts.com, and make sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks. We'll see you soon.